Hello, this is Andrew Weinberg, president of the AMFP New York City chapter. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast series, Healthcare Facility Matters. AMFP is the Association of Medical Facility Professionals. This is your professional organization for everyone in the healthcare built environment. We are very excited to provide this series as another means to provide great content and contribute to the betterment of our industry. Please let us know what you think and if there are any topics or speakers you'd like to suggest for future episodes. Meantime, we hope you enjoy today's discussion. AMFP, your peers are here. Welcome back to the Healthcare Facility Matters podcast series where healthcare built environment leaders share ideas, gain knowledge, solve challenges, connect with peers, and shape the future of the industry. This is part two of our first episode, a few pages from the healthcare C-suite of facility management. I am Grace Lin, Chair of the AMFP New York City Podcast Committee and a Senior Consultant at Turner and Townsend Healthcare. Our moderator is Jen Ryden, a Project Director from Stantec and a member of the AMFP New York City Podcast Committee. Jen will continue to discuss healthcare facility matters affecting capital projects with our two esteemed speakers, Doug Carney, Senior Vice President of Real Estate and Facilities for Mount Sinai Health System, and Tina Masika, Assistant Vice President of Design and Construction for Montefiore Medical Center. Something that helps us come together, I find, is to recognize project achievements and milestones. Um, again, in person is always terrific to build those relationships. Are you good at celebrating those, Tina? I mean, we're always having little parties in my office, of course. So important. I love it. Yeah, well, it's kind of funny if you, um, and I'm going to use a name on this case. If you talk to Peter from, from EJ Electric, and, and we had a massive failure, God, it's almost a year and a half ago now, uh, at one of our facilities, and, and all his people were working, you know, 48 hours um, nonstop to get us back online, I brought them you know, cookies and, 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 and bagels and all sorts of stuff. And, and to this day, all his skies, all they talk about is how I did that. And none of their other clients have ever done that for a team during that time. I'm like, are you kidding me? Come on. Like everybody, I'm like, this is New York. Everybody should be doing that. You know, those, those things go, go a long way. Well, you recognize the efforts, you see them all the way. Yeah. It's terrific. Something as simple as that, right. Of going up and, and, and taking a look and saying, okay, I, I'll go to a construction site that's way behind schedule. I'm going to be tough. I'm, I'm sorry. It's, just, it's how it's going to be. Right. Because we have deadlines that we have to meet, you know, time value of money for us. And so, um, you know, I'll be tough. And then if there's a turnaround, you know, like this week, I said, what a great job it was, how nice it was to see such a big turnaround. And I also saw the whole team with the architect and, and, and my infield guys all standing around the drawings, looking at all the details for the first time. I was like, oh, thank God, this is why it's happening. And they had it fully staffed from a trade standpoint. You know, like these are the things that make me excited. 
And then I think everybody sees every time we have a, a ribbon cutting or a project finishing, I'm posting online, right? Because I do want to recognize my folks and all the hard work that they do. Of course. Yeah. 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 I think there's different ways to celebrate, obviously, the extent of whether it's a media event and you have everyone there and there's ribbon cutting and there's LinkedIn posts or whether it's a terrific or complex issue that was solved by the collective team and you have it on site, you know, whether it's cookies or anything, it really makes a difference and again, help to, to build that team culture. Anything you can add on this, Doug, from your experience? So I, I think that that is uh, spot on. I, um, you know, I, I, I press hard like, like Tina described, but when, you know, when things go well, I like to think that I am one that will always recognize that. And sometimes it's as simple as saying that, right? You know, just saying to the team, listen, you guys are an incredibly high functioning team. And we're solving problems that are as difficult as I've seen. And I, I want you to know, I really appreciate it. Sometimes it's as straightforward as that. In, in the field, it's a little more challenging because the guys don't work for you. They have a bunch of, you know, competing uh, alliances in their, in their own emotional psyche. But I think what probably one of the best examples of, of what I'm talking about is, and I learned this from a, a person named John Huntsman, who was a donor at Penn. And it was when I was building the Wharton School. And, you know, he came to me and, you know, this is a, you know, a guy that's, you know, owns a massive chemical company. And he said, listen, Doug, you know, all these workers, they are working really hard and they're creating a building and it's going to have my name on it. And I want them to know how much I appreciate it. And, and he said, can you think of a way that uh, we could do that? And I worked with the CM and what we ended up with, and my Philly accent is going to come out we bought them hoagies every Thursday. <laughs> so every Thursday we bought, you know. I have three, no idea what that is. I'm going to put my Australian hat on. It's a submarine. Here you call it a submarine. <laughs> or a hero. <laughs> a hero or a sub. But at the end, at, you know, at the end of the day, we bought three or 400 hoagies every Thursday for for better part of uh, almost two years. And he paid for it. I mean, he said, I'll, you know, I'm not asking you to do this uh out of the goodness of your heart, I'll, I'll pay for it. And uh, he didn't want any recognition, but I made sure that the guys knew that the guy whose name goes on this building is buying you lunch every week. And, uh, and uh, it had a huge impact. It, was, it resonated through the entire city. It was interesting. That's great. Food goes a long way. <laughs> oh, it does go. Friends. Oh, yeah, food. We can definitely add that there. Food, <laughs> food does go a long way. Um, no, on that topic, I think it's really, yeah, it's great to hear these, um, how we do it differently and, and what's made a difference, what we've seen made a difference. And I really think that when you tap into that people's why, you know, you, you perform better. It's more fun to come to work. It's more fun to work together. Um, so on that note, I want to talk a little bit about that and how you landed in the role that you are now. What, why do you do what you do? So Tina, I'll start with you. I just love what I do. That's why I do what I Yeah, do. I know you said that. And I pictured everyone standing around the drawings and you coming in and being like, yes. So talk to us. 
I mean, look, I, you know, I, I've always designed, I, like, I, I, I always loved, even as a little kid, design and construction, right? Or Legos. I wish I just had a set of Legos here. I'd have to add that to my, uh, my collection back there. But, you know, just, I, to me, it just intrigues me what we do, right? And whether it's on the healthcare system side or, or you know, doing schools or, or infrastructure projects or office buildings, it's, it all has a need and a place in, in society, um, and, you know, you affect people. So to me, it's fun. You go and you, you come up with a spectacular design and then you have to corral all these cats and, and, and get them moving to a finished product. And then you see the end and, you know, the excitement of seeing the end, but then the excitement of seeing the people that see the end. Right. So there's just so many different so rewarding aspects to it. Um, you know, and it's just about, you know, really liking people and, and, and for me, like in the mission of my organization. Right. And 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 as we're evolving and going to through a transition uh, to better serve our our, our clients and, and, and grow our services, it's just an exciting time to be part of it. Yeah, that's that's great. I can really relate to a few of the points that you bring up when you've worked through the whole project life cycle and you've gone through it together and you all stand there looking at the product and it's physical and it's useful and it impacts the community. Um, Doug, what's your why? A lot, a lot of the same motivators. You know, I, uh, I was one of those kids, you know, that was out in the woods building tree houses all the time, you know, and did that too. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I decided I wanted to be an architect in eighth grade. Uh, so it was, you know, I found it easy uh, to to launch my professional career because I had such a clear vision for what I wanted it to be. Yeah. I enjoyed the practice of architecture. I'm, I'm proud of the work I did uh, there. And I always felt it made a difference. And, uh, um, you know, I always tried to be a team member like we've described here. Um and uh, mid-career, I, you know, became, started to realize that owners had even more influence over the outcome of a building project than, than I as an architect did. Um, so I went and earned my MBA and, and the rest is history working on the owner side. Yeah. And what I can tell you is that I found that to be true. I found that uh, in the role that Tina has and that I have, we can have as much or more influence over how good the buildings we do are as any of the team members. I mean, it's a team sport for sure. Uh, but, you know, we've all been on projects where owners have made decisions that, you know, they thought were either cost effective or, or optimal decisions. And we as, as experts knew they weren't, you know, and, uh, you know, what I can, uh, I guess the best way I can illustrate it is when I was uh, at children's in Philadelphia, the CEO came to me and said, I think our buildings are too expensive. And I said, why do you think that? And her response was, because we always win awards for them. <laughs> and I said, I, and I said, we don't win awards because we spend more than other people. And I showed her the data and, you know, we spent, we spent, you know, comparable to what you spend on the kinds of buildings we build. I said, we win awards because of the clarity of thought behind the building we make and what we want to use it for. That's why they win awards. And, you know, being able as an owner to continually reinforce that with the team and having the right team that understands it and finds ways to execute it beyond what you conceive. And, you know, that's exciting. And, and for me, 
I could do that with any building type. One of the reasons I do it in healthcare is because I think it makes more of a difference. I think Tina alluded to this, you know, whether it was pediatrics or, you know, up in Boston or here, uh, the buildings we make, um, hopefully positively affect people's lives for generations. Definitely. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, that gives you a good feeling when you go home at night, it gets you out of bed in the morning. Yep. Couldn't agree more. You both have worn different hats in the project teams throughout your careers, which, you know, Doug talking about, obviously going from, um, building, um, things in the woods to building hospitals um, and now being the owner side, making the big decisions. That's a big leap right there from tree house. Big leap. Yeah. <laughs> and then you got hired in this role. It's great. Um, is there anything that surprised you about the owner side that you didn't expect? Uh, I was, uh, I gave a lecture at Baruch in the uh, master's of Healthcare Administration and the MBA in Finance. It was a joint lecture on the capital approval process for a large healthcare institution. Uh, and to me, it is a mix of uh, fiscal management, accounting regulations, and uh, strategy with capital program management. You know, every organization is different. It won't surprise you that Wharton was one of the best. Uh, at this. Um, and uh, I guess it surprises me a little bit uh, how much variation there is in how uh, capital programs are um, created, how the ideas are accumulated, how the ideas are sorted, uh, what the governance process is in a large institution for vetting those ideas and ultimately deciding, you know, as I say, no, none of the organizations I've ever worked for had infinite money. You know, each had different levels of capital to spend, but everybody had a limit and everybody had need that exceeded their limit. So there are always hard choices that have to be made uh, and how those choices are made in each of the different organizations I've been a part of is very different and I find very interesting. That's a really good point. And I will kind of continue on on that one. So in terms of decision making, right, and funding impact that comes with that, it's something we all see wearing all the different hats in the project team, um, how the decision making process, whether it's the start of a capital project where you're putting that together, or whether it's during the delivery and how that decision making works. Um, Tina, how do you, on your project, establish this decision-making process? And is there a one-fits-all across all the various projects that you deliver, or is it the governance and what Doug kind of touched on a little bit different? Um, and is there anything that works better? So so I think like all big hospital systems are, are business-driven, right? Business and mission, right? So, so you're gonna have two buckets of how projects are, are viewed, right? So you get the projects that bring in money, you have projects that aren't gonna bring in money, but they're, they're for the greater need of the community. Um, and then there's a balance somewhere. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of people that are involved in that process. As a matter of fact, it's a huge senior leadership team that meets monthly to make a decision whether or not they're gonna do the project. So, you know, it kind of starts out of somebody has an idea, 
Um, they put it into the system. And when it gets to me and a bunch of other people, we go and we say, okay, well, what's this idea? Can we just figure out what the budget's going to be on something like this? And we'll meet with the user group and say, yeah, it's going to be around this. Let's put it in and see if we have support and if it's going to be an approved project or not. And the business plan matches what, what the need is. Um, or, or the mission value matches what the need is. Uh, other times we're going to do a feasibility study to really gain more, more intelligence onto how much the project's going to cost, right? So, so we might may do that exercise and then, you know, bring it forth. We're, we're, we, I think once upon a time, this institution was spinning its wheels a little bit and doing full design and not really knowing whether or not the, pro, uh, the project was going to fit into the business and the mission and they kept getting canceled, that's no more. That's no longer happening here, right? So if a project's gonna go move forward, it's gonna get fully funded and then we move forward. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of complexity that's going in there. And, and then, you know, I, I think a lot of your team members have heard me, Jen, say, no change orders. I, I don't care, like, you know, if there's something that's really needed, okay, but we're not making any changes after we have that design set. We that Everybody made decisions and we signed off, we're staying, we're, we're, we're staying the course. So, you know, just, really managing that that final approved funding um, and not going back and asking more because it, nobody looks good when that happens at that moment. It doesn't fit the business plan anymore. The business model has been destroyed. So we have to just you know remain sensitive. Thank you for all those insights. Anything you want to add, Doug? I think that that is, um, the latter point is absolutely critical. I'm, I'm guessing Tina would agree that every, um, user of note in both our organizations feel like they're empowered to make scope changes during construction, um, and they're not. Um, and, uh, you know, I like to say my job is not to say no necessarily, but my job is definitely to say not now. Um, and the uh, reason being is because the users generally uh, don't want to add things because they're capricious. They want to add things because they either didn't think of it or something changed. Um, but they don't understand, again, to my earlier point, how uh, asymmetrically disruptive that is, as well as, you know, just the business case, but also to construction execution. You know, I use a, de a technique that I call the day two list. And that is all those ideas that come up like, uh, you know, we should have done X. Uh, well, that goes on our day two list. And, um, and then we talk about it. And, you know, if it's a and it's tracked, yeah. Right, and if it's a true scope change, uh, then it really has to go through a governance approval process because yep. you know that we shouldn't be using capital for something even if it's a good idea if it hasn't been vetted against all the other good ideas. And yeah, reactive versus proactive again. Right. So you have that right. opportunity early on in the project. Yeah, no, very true. Um, it's been fantastic talking to you both um, to gain uh, some insights in how we as a AMFP and greater community can, can um, help support your projects moving forward. And yeah, I can, I really look forward to continuing these conversations, um, hopefully live at the next AMFP event. And um, until then, thank you very much, both. Nice job, Jen. Thank you. Yeah, very good job. Healthcare projects are complex. Today, we heard from our speakers about what owners love about consultants and what consultants can improve upon for future work. We also heard about healthcare facility matters and the topics affecting capital projects today. Here are some key takeaways 
for our AEC professionals. The capital project is a mix of fiscal management, accounting, regulations, and strategy with capital program management. Each organization is unique, and processes vary, but none of them have an infinite capital budget. Having needs that exceed the budget limits makes the decision-making process even more critical. The project team is not empowered to make scope changes during construction execution. A true scope change needs to go through the governance process for approval. All big hospital systems are business and mission-driven. Business plans need to match what the needs are, and capital projects need to fit the business and mission value. In concluding this episode, I want to again thank our speakers and moderator for sharing their practical insights as our chapter members crave to understand healthcare organizations' general strategic direction. I'll also thank our listeners for joining us. If you enjoy this podcast, please check our website at www.amfp.org/nyc to learn more about AMFP. This podcast series, Healthcare Facility Matters, is brought to you by the Association of Medical Facility Professionals (AMFP), New York City chapter. Goodbye for now. Until next time.